0: In the name of God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please, please We're going to talk today about the connection between the collect and the gospel. So uh, the collect is that little short prayer at the beginning of the service on sets the theme for today. In that in that prayer we're praising God whose glory oh lord whose glory is always to show mercy. Glory. So the glory this is one of the biggest words in the scripture. Um the the Hebrew word is is uh, kabad. Uh, the Greek word is doxa. That's the word we get doxology from because we're returning glory to God. Um, it means it means heft, weightiness, dignity. It also means radiance. Uh, one of the ways in which the word glory was used in the ancient world was uh, if you were a lookout and you're and you're looking out over the horizon and and there's an army approaching. And the sun is, sh- is shimmering off of the spear points and the shields and the chariot wheels. And even before they come into sight, you can see the glory of the army as it's advancing. Okay? Coming, coming to rescue you or coming to destroy you. Something awesome is coming. Uh, it, it is, the glory is God's awesome demonstration of His power. It's his praiseworthiness. And it's also the praise that is elicited, elicited by his praiseworthiness. So we, we give God glory. And and Israel is to be the glo- my glory. There to be his glory in the world. The glory of my people Israel, he says. And all of these meanings, and there are more, are being compressed into one word here. O God, o God whose glory what is your glory to always have mercy to always have mercy is the mercy deserved no God always has mercy but it's really never deserved so it's undeserved mercy God's glory is undeserved mercy so we pray uh, even when mercy is undeserved be gracious God for your glory is to be gracious and to always have mercy. right? Do you know this uh, hymn that's in the hymnal, O to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm inclined to be, but thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it. For thy courts above, seal it with thy glorious mercy. So we pray, be gracious to all who have gone astray from thy ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace the unchangeable truth of your word. And who is the word? Jesus Christ the Lord. This word that God eternally utters, this word that creates. And recreates, and we headed in the epistle here today, the God who brings to pass the things that are not, who brings into being the things that are nothing. And among those things are you and me. We are without Him nothing, and He's making us through the mercy, through the glory of His Son. He's making us into something. There's a song about this too, love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy tender, mercy crown. So how is it that God saves us? How is it that he gives us penitent hearts and turns us back to him? How does it happen? To turn to God again in repentance and praise, that's life. And to be uh, like sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way, that's the way of death. Moses comes down from the mountain with the two tablets, the ten words of life, and he says to the people, behold, this day I put before you life and death, therefore choose life. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and those gathered around him, I put before you your way where you wander off and turn each one to his own way your way and the way of the cross the way of death and the way of life therefore choose life so how is it that God does this well I'll give you an example from my own life it's a part of my testimony some of you have heard this before Uh, the details are personal, but the pattern is familiar in the Bible and familiar in the liturgy. It's the pattern that we enact every Sunday morning. So when I was a little boy, I was an extremely religious little boy. I loved everything that there was to do about church. I, 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 I loved the Bible stories, I loved the religious instruction, I loved to memorize prayers. I loved to be an acolyte and serve in the, in the Mass. I loved to go to Mass. I, I liked getting up early in the morning to serve the early morning Mass. You know, I was a little kid, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I loved it all. Couldn't get enough of it. And then, and this happens to a lot of teenagers, started to have questions. And at that time, I hope it's different now, at that time, I couldn't find a teacher who would take my questions seriously. And then I also had this experience that the, um, that the Christian writer Madeline Langle, some of you know the, what is the name of the book? The, um, uh, The Wind in the Door, right? Something like that. Um, and uh, Madeline Langle says, when she was in her teens, she discovered the perfidy of adults. And it disillusioned her. And so she turned away from the church, and so did, so did I. One of the great poems, of Western civilization is Dante's Divine Comedy. It's called the comedy because it has a happy ending. Dante gets to heaven at the end of the poem. Right? So that's why it's a comedy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great poem. But it begins, uh, uh, Dante's in the middle of his life, and he, he wakes up, he, has, he goes to sleep, and he wakes up. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm not much for languages, but uh, I, I heard this in a lecture, and it just stuck with me. Dante wakes up, and the Italian is he woke up and found himself in una silva oscura. So bad enough to be in a dark wood, right? But to be in a sil- una silva oscura, that's a really... So he, he woke up, he found himself, he's lost in a dark wood. Well, I didn't have to wait to midlife. I was going in my own way. Not especially wicked, but wicked enough. I you know, I thought I was having fun but I was getting more and more lost in a dark world I I stayed interested in religion, I was interested in religion in an intellectual sort of a way and there was something that I kept coming back to over and over again, it was the words of Jesus love your enemies for most of the world's people for most of the world's history to love your enemies would be a dishonorable thing It would be an immoral thing, not a moral thing. We're very odd, we Christians, because we think we should love our enemies. Well, hope we don't lose our grip on it. But I was fascinated by that. I didn't find it anyplace else. It may be someplace else, but I didn't find it anyplace else. Anyway, it came to pass that I was selected to address a a group of angry students who were protesting. And they were surrounded by an even angrier group of counter-protesters. You may have seen scenes like this on the news lately. And I was trying to think what I could say that would make things better than worse. And I found myself talking about this thing that Jesus says, love your enemies. And when I started talking about it, I was being very ironic. I was saying had the counter-protesters in view. I was saying, well, some of you, you know, you make a big thing of following Jesus. Remember, now Jesus says love his his enemy. And all of a sudden, I don't know how to say it, but I had a recognition. It flooded me. It came upon me like the proverbial ton of bricks. That I was God's enemy. And that the price of God's love for his enemies is the cross of the Savior. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The saved rich like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, found, was blind. I didn't see it. Until that moment, I didn't see it. I didn't see it that, that, that I was, uh, going in my own way. I was God-forgetting. I was, uh, I had a hard heart towards God. And that the way that God was dealing with that was to extravagantly pour out his undeserved love and mercy upon me and that all that time the crucified risen one was reaching out to me with the marks of the cross still upon him all of a sudden i could see the glory this glory which is to always have mercy i could see the glory in the cross of jesus christ I could see the awesome power of God and the sacrificial love of Christ. And it created in me a joyful sorrow. And I have found out that in the church fathers, they talk about this. And they talk about the Christian life. They talk about the Christian heart. They talk about the, the Christian consciousness. And they talk about the experience of the liturgy, the experience of the Holy Communion. They talk about it as a bright sorrow, a sorrowful joy. I was awestruck, I was amazed, I still am. God has a problem, here's God's problem. How is he going to deal with the hard-heartedness of his children? Their hearts are hard towards him and they're hard towards each other. How's he going to deal with that? How is he going to turn them from wandering in their own way and turn them back to him? Well, by a demonstration of power, by lightning bolts from the sky, by sending down a legion of angels, could certainly do that. He does do it by an awesome demonstration of power, but the awesome demonstration of power is the glory of the cross. And everything the lookout saw coming over the horizon, all of that immense power is there shining in the cross, and we don't see it until the resurrection. He gathers to himself on the cross all the darkness and wickedness in the the world and he drowns them with the flood that flows from the cross. And there's another old song. There is a fountain filled with blood. You know this one? There's a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins and every sinner plunged beneath that flood loses all his guilty stain. It was given to the prophet Isaiah To see this hundreds of years before it happened, he saw the coming of God's definitive salvation in Jesus Christ the Lord. This is what Isaiah says in chapter 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. and With his stripes, we are healed. Over and over again in the Bible, we find this 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 pattern of undeserved costly mercy and forgiveness which provokes sorrow and joy at the same time think about um, think about the uh, well you keep them quieter still pick one uh, think about uh, uh, think about Joseph and his brothers. you know this story uh, Joseph Joseph's brothers are jealous of him, and they decide they're gonna kill him, they put him, they put him down, and they, they beat him up, they put him, strip him naked, they put him down in the pick, they're gonna leave him for dead, but then some slave traders come along, so they sell him to the slave traders. And he's taken down to Egypt. And he gets beaten up worse there. But ultimately, God rescues him. And then there's a famine, and his brothers have to go to Egypt for food. And then they look on him whom they pierce. And he saves their life. The same pattern is there with St. Paul on his way to Damascus. He starts out, he thinks he's God's friend. On the road to Damascus, he finds out he's not God's friend, he's God's enemy. And the crucified and risen one appears to him and shows him the cost of his love for Paul. And Paul starts out on a new life, and it's a new life that will lead him to the cross. Here's what he says about it in the letter to the Philippians. Yea, doubtless, talking about his new life, lay doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dumb, that I may win Christ." And the experience, this is, this is bright sadness. In the experience of the Holy Eucharist is bright sadness. We have, we have presented before us in a way that we can see it. The glory of this un, unbounded mercy. The glory of this seeking, searching, and sacrificial love. Of God's love for us even while we're turned against him. We all of a sudden we can see it in such a way that it turns us back to him. And uh, we see the glory of his and the radiance of his sacrificial love for us and the, the sorrow that we have over the cross becomes the joy that we have over the resurrection. And he puts... Life. Not the way of death, but the way of life. He puts it in our hands and upon our lips, and we receive it. We receive it with a joyful sorrow. We receive it with a bright sadness. And we receive it under life and that eternity. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.